Hello, friends, and welcome to the Real Estate Wine and More podcast. I'm your host, Howard Fletcher. I'm a real estate advisor with Engel and Volkers in Tysons, Virginia. I help people buy and sell real estate in the Washington metropolitan area, better known as the DMV. In this episode, we're going to have part two of my conversation with Carl Domano of 868 Estate Vineyards in Percival, Virginia. If you weren't able to catch part one, I would encourage you to do so because Carl had a lot of good things to say. However, if you didn't, uh, you don't need to have listened to it to appreciate this one. So sit back, relax, drive your car safely, work out or whatever you do while listening to podcasts and enjoy. This is episode one, part two, 868 Estate Vineyards, Weathering Virginia Wine. A quick point that I want to make that I failed to mention in the opening is that I like to record these things on site. And so I recorded this conversation in the tasting room of 868 Vineyard. That's one reason why it's a little echoey, but the other thing you're going to hear is some sound in the background. We were recording right before opening time of the tasting room, so that's Carl's staff getting the room ready for the public. So with all of my disclaimers and mea culpas out of the way, here's the rest of my conversation with Carl Domano. Okay, I'm back with Carl Domano, and uh, I want to ask you about the weather we've had because, you know, as I said in the beginning, we had uh, snow a couple of days ago. Um, we didn't really have a lot of snow last year, although some of the years you've been here, we've had some heavy snows. Tell me, how does that affect your, is that part of your plan or is that something you know is going to happen or does it really change the way you mm. deal with your, your grapes? Snow doesn't. Snow is actually, you know, not a problem. Uh, you know, the grapes will produce fruit or they'll grow, they'll get to the fall, they'll become dormant. So they're asleep, essentially. Uh, depending on the grape, they have certain cold hardiness. Some grapes are better able to deal with cold than others, but they're all good to, you know, 10 degrees Fahrenheit or so. So, you know, the w- winters here don't, aren't always a problem. What snow does is actually blankets, provides insulation for these vines. So new plantings, new vines are susceptible to freeze more so than the than the old ones, and they're usually small. So, uh, you know, six, seven inches of snow actually covers uh, the graft between the rootstock we use and the actual grapevine. And if you can keep that graft union from freezing, keep that that first couple of inches of, of scion of the top of the vine from freezing, you're fine. And snow actually helps with that. So, uh, yeah, so we planted in 2017, and is that right? Yeah. And that winter, we did have a run of 10, 12 days in the in zero range, and we lost most of that vineyard as a result. If we had had a nice, heavy snow before that cold game, we probably would have been fine. Uh, but, but that is one of the one of the risks of uh, East Coast viticulture is uh, the winters can get cold, and you can be susceptible to some vine loss when that happens. So snow is fine. Now, the rain we had last year... You're reading my mind. That's what I was going to ask you about. Well, it's an obvious question. <laughs> um, there were a couple of articles that came out, you know, during harvest or toward the tail end of harvest. And uh, uh, 
you know, it was all doom and gloom and some of the wineries and marketing organizations like you can't we can't be putting out articles like that people are going to think there's no wine and that this is terrible um so i don't have a good way to spin it um 2018 was a very challenging year a lot of folks aren't making red wines mm -hmm. uh, i know rdv is declared they're not making i guess any wine because they only do red uh jim law at linden is not doing reds um and I completely understand. We'll do a very small amount of reds, and it'll be a challenge. This is this is where you know East Coast winemaking is very challenging and brings out the best in the, the winemakers. Here is you know at best the wines will be elegant, they'll be well made, but they're never going to be big powerhouses because we just don't have that those kind of grapes this year. Yeah. So so. Again, that vintage variation we were talking about uh, will definitely come into play in, in the 2018 vintage. Yeah, that I doesn't mean that there isn't plenty of 16 and 17 wine to sell, and you know that, that inventory will be available. We'll have 18 whites, we'll have 18 rosés, uh, and then we'll segue into what we're hoping to be a glorious 2019, and, and we'll get back on track. Yeah. For those listeners that aren't familiar with the wine of this region in Virginia, Loudoun, um, what grapes do you grow here? What grapes, are there any grapes that you would like to grow here in the future that you, or vines to plant that you'd like to plant that you haven't yet? And what does the best here? What, tell us about the grapes. Well, our initial planning was Chardonnay, Sauve Blanc, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, a little bit of a Dal Blanc, which was honestly planted so it could be seen from, from this tasting room. So we could look out and say, look, there's vines. <laughs> and then more to that point, uh, we have some Chardonnay. Uh, and that is down by the roadside. And that the thought there was, we need vines down by the roadside so people can see, see yeah. that there is a vineyard. And if it grows, great. And if it doesn't grow, okay, fine. Um, and turns out it's produced an incredible amount of fruit, some very pretty fruit. Uh, we've done a lot with it. Uh, our sweet wine is made from there. Our Chardonnay is made from that. We've done a pet nat from that. Uh, it's a very versatile grape. And if we ever do a sparkler, we'll probably use the, the Chardonnay there. So uh, what was kind of an afterthought became uh, uh, a good producer for us. Uh, since then, we have planted Nebbiolo uh, and Viognier, uh, in addition to some more Merlot and some more Cab Franc, and Petit Verdot. Um, in Maryland, when I was growing there, I was very impressed with the Chardonnay. I really enjoyed East Coast Chardonnay, and then Cabernet Franc uh, really has found a home here. Oh. Uh, the, the, the Sugarloaf Vineyard was planted in 2004. We took a crop of Cabernet Franc in 2005. And it wasn't just a couple of berries here and there. It was about three tons to the acre. And that isn't supposed to happen. But the Franc is, just settles in so nicely in this region that, that it, it took hold and is still producing today. So on the red side, uh, Cabernet Franc... Uh, seems to be 
uh, one well suited for our soil and our growing season here. Uh, I've had Cabernet Francs from other regions of the world, other regions of the country, and, and Virginia can really uh, stand up to, to any of those. I would agree. Um, Petit Verdot is another one that seems to do well here. Uh, it's a different profile than you'll find out in California. California, you'll find it as a blender. You very rarely see it as front and center, uh, with good reason. Um, you know, it's got beautiful color, nice tannin, mid-palate is usually um, completely missing. So here, you know, maybe it doesn't get as ripe or as tannic, um, but it kind of fills in the middle a little. And blended with something else, blended with Merlot or something like that, can make a really nice wine. So, And then we started dabbling in Viognier, um, more so because... It seems to grow well here. And again, like the Cab Franc, I've had Virginia Viognier's that I would put up against the best from France, certainly the best from California. Uh, they, they are interesting wines and, and, and really do well here. Really, the, the only, uh, the grapes I would plant, we've got, like I said, we had some problems with the 17 planting. We're going to come back with some Tanat. I'm excited to work with that. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I, I, that was another one I always thought of as a blender, but it's really bold. It's good. It's really bold. Uh, when I was in grad school, I, my my thesis was on micro oxidation. So you're purposely oxidizing wines, mm -hmm. and the initial research in there was done on Tanat because it is so tannic. <laughs> There's so many phenolics that you cannot destroy it. With, well, you could if you put your mind to it, but uh, it is so big and bold and tannic and, and phenolic that you can pump a bunch of oxygen into it and um, not have it go too bad and be able to do research on it. Uh, so that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to slip that in some blends. And really the only other thing that, that is of real interest to me would be Petit Mansang. Mm. Uh, and you don't hear about it anywhere but Virginia, uh, but they make some bright, beautiful wines. So we'll be right back after this quick message from me. This past weekend, I was showing property to a client who works at an embassy in downtown DC. And like most of us, she ends up spending most of her time at her job. However, her lifestyle includes hiking, yoga she does volunteer social work um she does horseback riding i mean she plays polo <laughs> i know right one of the best things about selling real estate in the dmv is that the area is so culture rich and eclectic that no matter where you live you're never too far away from most anything that might interest you so i was able to show her places that were in suburban maryland as well as suburban uh, uh virginia and also some neighborhoods in dc if you know anyone who's looking to buy or sell real estate in DC, Maryland, or Virginia, I would encourage you to contact me, Howard Fletcher, and we can discuss how I can help you reach your goals in buying that next house or selling the one you're in, or both. Go to my website. It's Howard Fletcher at EVUSA.com. That's H-O-W-A-R-D-F-L-E-T-C-H-E-R at EVUSA.com. 
check me out, search for some property, and give me a call. I'd love to hear from you. And with that, let's get back to the show with Carl Domano and more Virginia wine. When I travel, and I do a good bit of travel within the continental United States, I'll ask Psalms about Virginia wine. Some are familiar, not, not very many, especially when you start getting further west, have even tasted it. Some are familiar with the production, and then one, once or twice they'll say, oh, I had some, and it was, it was decent, you know, that type of thing. What do you think, uh, I know Virginia Wine, the Virginia Wine Associations, I know they do a, quite a bit of, of promotion within the state uh, of Virginia Wine. Um, first, let me ask you about 868. Do you have any desire to do any personal, distrib- do any distribution as far as out to restaurants or retail establishments? Uh, do you do any now, and do you have any plans to do try to do more? So I guess the answer to all those is yes. Uh, <laughs> we have very limited distribution because up until maybe a year ago, we, our sales were outpacing production. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was no reason to, to go and do that. Yeah. Nice problem. Uh, but yeah. now, right, it was. <laughs> and now it's not a problem. So, right. so the next iteration for us will be to do some distribution to get uh, – Get a broader reach. Uh, you know, I've I've been in situations where people have have distributed because they thought it would promote people coming to the winery. Uh-huh. That sounds good, but it really doesn't apply. So it's really about just getting your product in in front of people and letting them enjoy it where they are. Uh, so that'll be the next step for us: uh, either signing with a distributor or just getting more uh, more active in moving wine. Uh, throughout Northern Virginia, D.C., uh, and, uh, you know, for the next couple of years, that would be what we're able to support. Um, you know, the, the distribution thing, that's, you've got to, you know, depending on how big you are, you can only move so much through a tasting room, and then after that, assuming the economics work, then you want to go ahead and start moving it out into the marketplace. Now, as far as moving wine to other regions, other states, uh, other countries, I know uh, Virginia Winery Association was trying to move wine into London and did a tasting out there. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. Right. Um, years ago, I, I had a little project and I was working at a winery in Ontario. And I said, how much wine do you make here? It really looked like a storefront uh, from the front. The back was, looked like a factory. He said, oh, two and a half million cases. I said, okay, so that's maybe four or five times what the entire state of Virginia produces. <laughs> right? So we are the number five or number six largest producing state in the country. But... There are 80 wineries in California that make more wine than the entire state of Virginia. Uh, so, given that, we should be selling it here in Virginia. Right. Right. I got to think, I don't know what the number is, but just the D.C., the DMV area, there's probably a couple million cases of wine consumed here, and we're making 500,000 or 600,000 or whatever the number is. Let's sell it there first. Right. Let's displace some of that wine coming in and then move throughout the state of Virginia and then maybe maybe the Mid-Atlantic. Yeah. So, 
you know, and maybe that's, you know, again, the chemical engineer, you know, uh, well, pick yeah. off the low-hanging fruit first and then go and make the effort later. But, but yeah, so when a, a psalm in Chicago has never heard of Virginia wine, I, I'm okay with that. Right, that, right. That, that there's a reason for that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's okay. And it, honestly, most of the wineries, or at least are in the case of 868, we're small to the point where we're not benefiting from, from benefits of scale. Uh, and so our costs are a little higher per unit. And so for us to sell a wine at eight or nine dollars a bottle to get into the marketplace is, a, is at best a, um, a zero sum game. Yeah. You know, so if we can sell that bottle here or, um, you know, take it on the road and, and sell it uh, at a festival or a, an event in Brambleton or something like that. We're gonna, that's going to serve us better than, you know, um, getting 40, 45% of, of retail uh, from a distributor to move it into a place where the person selling it doesn't have the passion for it that we do here at 868. Well, I enjoy taking it to parties. I mean, I do. I enjoy taking your product and some, and others uh, that I go to in the area, and having people who have decent wine palates, and I ask them, have, you know, guess where this is from or what you're drinking, and if they never say Virginia or they never say Maryland, they'll say something else, and they're usually pleasantly surprised. So hopefully, some of that will turn into change of behavior. We'll see. Well. Um, I guess uh, just to end up, is there anything that you'd like to say to uh, the audience about your winery or about the wine business in Virginia or anything we haven't touched? I'll have people come and tell me that uh, they enjoy Virginia wine, but they're they're not going to buy it because you know they can get a Chilean whatever uh, for eight bucks that that's just as good. Uh, but then they'll turn around and buy locally sourced uh, arugula. Right. Um, and my answer to that is, I know how those Chilean wines are made. They're, they're, they're factory farmed, they're machine harvested, you know, they're, there's no barrels involved, someone's stirring in some oak dust, and, and they, at the end of the day, from the scientific standpoint, from the chemical engineering standpoint, right. they're very sound, very nice wine. Uh, but if you're willing to pay more for artisanal cheese or locally grown meat or something like that, then you're not going to compete um, a Chilean wine or something, you know, an $8 New Zealand wine is not going to compete with what we have here because the product we have here is, is handmade, it's, it's hand-grown. Um, somebody uh, who owns the vineyard and owns the winery is actually getting their hands dirty in the wine. Uh, and so you're getting a true Virginia product. And the, the wines are, um, you know, in the case, like I mentioned earlier, a Viognier or a Cab Franc, these wines are as good as any wines you're gonna find in the price point uh, from anywhere. I would put our Cab Franc up against, you know, a $28 Cab Franc from, from California or or, um, you know, even the Loire Valley once it comes in because, um, you know, because it's small production, because it's, um, 
relatively um, low yield vineyards, you're going to get a lot of expression in these wines, and they're they're very good wines. So, so you know, try some Virginia wine. Come on out, uh, taste through them. Take a case home. Taste through that. And uh, whether it's 868 or it's the guys down the road, you know, uh, there are some very good wines. And if you're of the, the mind to pay for locally sourced products, then we have a product for you. Good. Well, Pro Domano, I'd like to thank you for your time. I see you're, we're doing this in your tasting room. It's about to open up, if you all have heard the, the people coming in. So uh, thanks a lot, and I, uh, I'll be back. Okay, great. I'll be here. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that was part two of my conversation with Carl D'Amano of 868 Estate Vineyards. I'd like to thank Carl once again for his time and hospitality. I would also like to thank one of his partners, Nancy DeLiso, for helping to arrange this interview. She and all of the staff of the tasting room could not have been any more professional or accommodating. If you're ever in the Percival area of Loudoun County, Virginia, or if you're looking for a great weekend outing in the D.C. area, I would highly recommend visiting 868 Estate Vineyards. And while you're there, try their Elevated Tasting, which pairs food prepared by their chef of their restaurant Grandale and the wines that Carl's made from the grapes from their estate. It's really, really very, very good. Something you can do that would help me loads is to please rate this episode. And if you liked it, please subscribe. Also, let your friends know about it and ask them to give me a listen too. I would very much appreciate it. The Real Estate Wine and More podcast is a production of the Fletcher Group, made in association with Angle and Volkers in Tysons and Lansdowne. Music for this episode was supplied by Cadillac Grip. If you're ever in the Boulder or Denver, Colorado area, please go see Cadillac Grip play. Because if you ain't hip to the grip, you just ain't hip. The Real Estate Wine and More podcast was written, recorded, engineered, produced, and screwed up by me. I'm Howard Fletcher, your friendly neighborhood real estate advisor with Engel and Volkers. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.